One announcement. Uh, two weeks from today, September 25th, we are having another baptism service. Um, and if God is moving on your heart, uh, many of you have received Christ uh, recently. Um, take that step of faith. Uh, you say, didn't we have one not a month ago? Yeah, and eight or nine people made that commitment of faith. And um, we're going to have another one. We already have four uh, lined up. So talk to me. Talk to Ryan Johnson. If, if that's on your heart, we'd love to, t- even if you're just not sure, we'll talk it through with you. We'll pray it through with you. Um, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. Um, you know how a lot of times on, on, on Sunday we laugh, you, you know, it, it's fun. Yeah, this is not going to be one of those weeks. Um, it's okay. Uh, this, I'll, I'll be straight up front with you. Um, during uh, this time that we have in God's Word, um, I'm going to try to convince you how desperately we need rescue, um, how much Jesus loves us and wants to rescue us. Those of us who have been rescued, He will rescue us. He ha- is rescuing us. And, um, and the consequences of not being rescued uh, is not meeting Him as rescuer, uh, but meeting Him as righteous judge. And, and how bad that is, um, uh, and, and how much you want to meet him as rescuer, okay? So we're not pulling any punches. Um, this is the 10th anniversary of 9-11, um, and we'll be tying that in. It's an attack that marked our generation. Um, you probably remember where you were, and you watched, and you heard about this awful uh, attack, and, and initially with confusion, and then with shock, and with horror, as you realized for the first time, or you got uh, a, a, a very clear reminder um, that the world we live in is much different and darker uh, than we thought. Uh, what, we, what we thought first is this can't be happening. And, um, and then what does it mean that this is happening? And um, we, as well as the people at the World Trade Center at Ground Zero, we needed rescue. Um, they needed rescue. They needed justice. Um, they needed hope. We need rescue and justice and hope, and not in any way, not in any way to diminish uh, the atrocity of 9-11 10 years ago, but the urgency, uh, life and death stakes, and sobriety of that attack 10 years ago Uh, are exactly what God is going to unpack for us this morning, show us in our hearts. And all of that rescue, all of that justice, all of that hope is available to us if we will listen and be honest with ourselves and with God and respond to him. God will speak to you this morning through his word. Not because of me, not because of cool music, because his spirit is here, because his word is here. Here's the decision you'll make. Am I going to be brave enough to pray to him right now, ask him to open my eyes, open my ears, open my heart, receive his word, and respond to it? You and I need to, because the God of the universe is sending out a loving cry to us to to be rescued, to be rescued. Turn to Revelation 1, please. Long introduction. Sorry about that. We've got a lot to cover. Let's go. Revelation 1. As you're turning there, quick poll. How many of you have been in prison? Even for a night, drunk tank. That counts. Okay, thanks. We need, we need, okay. Um, 
here's what I know. Um, never had the pleasure, uh, but uh, visit a lot of people. Um, prison takes away your freedom. Prison takes away your freedom. You can't go where you were created to go. You can't become what you were created to become when you're in there. You can't see what you were created to see. You can't do what you were created to do. You can't love the way you were created to love during the time that you're in there. It strips your identity, right? You, you dress like everyone else. You eat like everyone else. You go where everyone else goes. And um, the Bible would say that spiritually, all of us have been in prison and many of us still are. Um, now, uh, some of you might be prompted to say, Tom, you're a moron. Uh, I'm not in prison. Well, how can you be sure? What, 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 what are you using as a comparison? The life that you've always experienced up until this day? That's not a good comparison. Maybe you're using as a comparison the kind of life that you see people around you living and have lived the whole time that you were alive and observant. Well, those aren't good comparisons. How about we use this? How about the life that the creator of life, the creator of freedom, the creator of joy, the creator of everything intended for you to live? Well, if we use that as a comparison, well, then maybe we are in prison. You say, there's no bars around me. The bars are around our hearts. That's what the Bible says, you know? But as sobering as that idea is, as shocking as that might be to some of us, there's always good news. With God, there's always good news. Here it is, Psalm 146.7. We'll just get a glimpse of what lies ahead. Psalm 146.7 says this, the Lord sets the prisoners free. Get that, okay? He wants to set everybody who's captive in any way free. The Lord sets the prisoners free. That applies to you if you'll receive freedom, if you'll receive rescue. Okay, Revelation 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 5. So the passage that we looked at last week was leading up to there. Grace and peace, right? We talked about grace and peace. God wants grace and peace for you. you got to get that in your heart. God wants good for you. God wants blessing for you. God wants forgiveness for you. God wants freedom for you. God wants grace and peace. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. We saw that, and here we go, verse 5. And from And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth. Here it comes. Here's the prison break. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, a priest to our God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, did you see that? It's so good. John breaks into like a spontaneous worship service right there. To God be glory. Okay, here we go. Watch the shift. It's right here, verse 7. Behold, look, he, Jesus, is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. And then Jesus chimes in, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The Almighty. Okay. Here we have two very different scenarios, almost colliding. They're right next to each other. Don't know if you saw it, but they're there. One is of love and rescue, and the other is of righteous judgment. 
And, and so we have two images. First, Jesus is loving rescuer. And the second, Jesus as righteous judge. We'll look at the loving rescuer first because it comes first. And frankly, it's more fun. So um, let's go back. We're going to continue to refer back to those heart cries that came out of 9-11. Okay? So don't let it throw you. When we watched the tragedy of 9-11, our hearts cried out for rescue. We said rescue, justice, and hope. Okay, our hearts cried out for rescue. Rescue for the people at the World Trade Center and on Ground Zero. Rescue for the brave police and, and military and firemen that went in there. Rescue for everybody who was affected by it, the families of the people on the plane. And our, and our core level, at our core level, even rescue for ourselves. Because we have this chilling realization that we live in a world that is darker and more threatening than we knew. Where there is real sin that can really destroy us. And here is the shocker. We need 10 years later and forevermore a rescuer because that sin does not hide in the hearts only of terrorists. It hides in the hearts of me and, and of you. And so we need rescue. But there's hope because here we see Jesus, the loving rescuer. Look at verse, the second half of verse 5. Him who loves us. That's good news. He loves us and has freed us. He has rescued us from our sins, from the prison of sin by his blood. And that freedom, that rescue from the prison of sin, I know, I know that, that, that some people will think, Big whoop. Big whoop, really? Um, set me free from the prison of sin? Uh, whatever. Um, what I need to be rescued from and set free from is evil, is hating myself, is hating the people who grate my last nerve, uh, hating people in my own family uh, who are driving me crazy. I need to be set free from bankruptcy, and hopelessness, and anxiety, and fear, and failure, and self-mutilation, and strained relationships, and shame, and pain, and lust, and addiction, and feeling like there is no p- purpose to my life, or feeling like God has abandoned me, and, and, and problems in my marriage, and problems with my work. That's what I need to be set free from. And Jesus, when you're interested in setting me free from that, get back to me. I might be more interested. Well, be interested. Because if that's on your heart, you've just described a part of the prison of sin that Jesus comes to set you free from. Why? Look at the text. Because he loves us. He loves us. So who is in this prison of sin? The Bible will tell us everyone who has ever lived and breathed except for Jesus Christ. Everyone who has ever lived and breathed except for Jesus Christ. Truth of Galatians 3.22 is this. But the scripture, God's perfect holy laws, which all of us have broken, some of you before breakfast, right? The scripture has imprisoned everything and everyone imprisoned under sin. So that, here's the good news, the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Rescue might be given. 
to those who believe, who come and receive rescue. That's the, not me. Not me. I'm not, I'm not in prison. Well, you see, we have this self-preservation, this knee-jerk, and I do mean jerk, reaction to, to really just protecting ourselves. That's how um, we, when we're unrepentant, whether we're followers of Jesus Christ or not, that's how we get through life. That's a coping mechanism. It wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. Come on, it's somebody else's fault. I'm the victim here. Every broken relationship, every strained situation, everything, I didn't do anything wrong. Really? I guarantee you, it's true for me. The thing you're wrestling with right now, the relationship you're having problems with, well, it doesn't matter where it is, in your home, at your work, in school, with your family, it doesn't matter. 95% chance you had something to do with it. Something. And, and when we say, well, I didn't do anything wrong, we tend to reject those relationships, start new ones. Another church, another friendship, another this, another that. And we bring that same brokenness because we've never come, we've never been rescued from it. And we do it all over again. It's that cycle, right? And we do the same thing in our relationship with God. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not in prison. Really? That's what the Bible calls being unrepentant, being hard-hearted. And, and, and look at me, okay? This is the worst condition that you or I could ever be in according to the Scriptures. This is the worst condition because people in that state who gradually become more and more removed, more and more, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm a victim here. I, we can't receive rescue. We can't receive forgiveness. That I didn't do anything wrong is the antichrist mindset. People who are unrepentant, get this. I'm going to say, you're going to say, wow. People who are unrepentant worship Satan. Why? Because Satan is the poster child of never being wrong. Of being unrepentant. And churches are full of people who are unrepentant, which is why at Bethany, I'll come right out and tell you, there is nobody more guilty than your pastor because I know what I ought to be doing. There are no perfect people here, but we serve a perfect God. So let's not be in denial. Being in denial is for people who don't want rescue. So who imprisoned you? Good question. Two sources. One, your DNA. Two, you. Okay? First, your DNA. We are all children of our first father, Adam, who sinned and started this family tree on which you and I were born. It goes back. And all of our forefathers and foremothers and all our family tree has this in their DNA. We are rebellious souls antagonistic to God. It's woven into us. And if you doubt it, if you doubt it, take a look at your heart. Take a look at your life. Don't compare it to other people. Compare it to a holy God. Every word, every thought, every action, everything we don't do, everything, all of that forges this prison of our hearts, that prison of sin that we need rescue from. That proves that 
in our DNA is woven in sin. To be rescued, we need a new family tree, a new heart, new DNA, new blood. Can you do that? I can't do that. Good news is that's exactly what Jesus provides in his rescue through the cross. New family tree, new heart, new DNA, new blood. That's exactly what he's promising as he sets us free from the punishment, the, 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 the prison of sin. The prison of sin includes three things, and we're going to look at them quickly. First, the punishment. He wants to set us free from the punishment of sin. That's great news. Second, the power of sin, which is less common but needs to be more common, and the presence the overwhelming presence of sin in our lives. Okay, let's go. Make sure before you leave that you know that Jesus has set you free from the punishment of sin. Those of you who've been hanging around church a lot, you, you claim Jesus Christ, you're followers of Jesus Christ, you understand that being set free from the punishment of sin. Jesus was punished on the cross in our place for our sins as our standard, as our substitute. Uh, The punishment was poured out on him. It's not coming to us if we go to him, if we repent of our sin, if we receive him, if we receive his rescue, right? The punishment is on him. It is not on us. That's what we mean. Uh, We are then born into his family tree, right? We're not any more descendants of Adam. We are now on Jesus' family tree. We have his life, his blood, his DNA in us by grace. All a gift. That is what it means to receive Christ. We use different words. Being born again, coming to faith. That's what it means. We're not in Adam's family line anymore. We're in Jesus' family line. That's what the expression means. Unfortunately, that's where most Christians stop. I'm free from the punishment of my sin. Great. It is great. I've been forgiven. Wonderful. It is wonderful. Sin can't hurt me. Guess I'm done. Surprise. Yes, it can. And no, you're not. And neither am I done. Because Jesus not only wants to set us free from the punishment of sin, he wants to set us free from its power in our life and its overwhelming presence in our life. Can you picture Jesus dying on the cross saying, okay, set you free from the ultimate punishment of your sin, but... I'm still going to let you suffer from it and let it wreck the life I bought to give you. Have fun. No. Jesus doesn't want to give you an eventual uh, parole from sin. He wants to set you completely free. Get this. Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save you to the uttermost. He's able to save you to the extreme, 100%, not just the punishment, but the power and the presence to those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for us. He is working, praying, interceding now on your behalf before the Father to save you to the uttermost, 100%. That's why some of us guys don't go to the doctor, right? We don't go when we have the flu or something like that because we know they're going to look beyond our, the symptoms we came in for. They're going to want to heal everything. They're going to want to think about my blood pressure, my stress, and this and that, my weight. God forbid, like, a, some kind of exam that requires a glove. You know what I'm saying? So we don't go. 
It's not like that with God. Well, it is in the sense that he wants you set free completely, saved to the uttermost. Not set free from the punishment only, but from the power and the presence of sin. Jesus loves you too much for half measures. So make sure today that you know that Jesus has set you free from sin's power. Romans 6, this is heavy. Romans 6, verses 17 and 18. Thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin. Sin was janking, yanking your chain. Sin was controlling you. Sin was your master. It was running your life. You were once like that, slaves of sin, but you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been, look at that word, set free, rescued from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Sin no longer owns you. Sin no longer calls the shots in your life. Sin no longer leads you around and you are not slaves to it. You're slaves of me and of uh, slaves of righteousness, slaves of freedom, slaves of joy, set free from sin, set free for him, set free for life. Not just for the extent of your life, but so that you can live, so that you can live. Even people in churches, we end up living lives that look like imprisonment compared to what he wants, what he earned. When you spend time in the scriptures, do you see that there's a freedom, there's a, there's a, there's a victory, and there's a joy that we find here? How often do you find it here? How often do you find it here? Sin is still running the show for so many of us because we stopped that Jesus wants to set us free, rescue us from its punishment, not its power. You know what recidivism rate is? It's the percentage of prisoners that get set free, that get released, who end up back in prison. And the Bureau of Justice tells us in their most recent studies that that over three years of release is over 50%. Over 50% of prisoners in the next three years who are set free will end up back in prison. That's pretty shocking that, that the joy of being set free, um, that, the, that the, the blessings of being free are, n- are not enough to, to keep you from going back into prison. And as much as I find that shocking, I've done it. I've done it spiritually. Jesus set me free when I was 16 years old from the punishment of my sin. I walked through the doors And I can't tell you how many times I've walked back in willingly. Willingly. Because I continued to seek rescue and joy and freedom in in things other than him. The things that would imprison me and destroy me. And if you're honest with yourself, maybe you have too. Maybe that's you set free and then walk willingly back into the prison of sin. Maybe your life is not, here's, here's some ways to tell. Maybe your life is not continually changing. You came to Christ, you made a big change. God changed your heart. And that's where it stopped. 
He's not continually changing. You can't say, I'm not the man I was six months ago. I'm not the woman I was a year ago. Jesus is here to save us to the uttermost, to continue setting us free again and again, more and more. Although it happened in one instant, he earned it all on the cross. He's doing it in our lives, throughout our lives. Can you say, I'm not the guy I was. I'm not the lady I was. I'm continually changing. If not, you may have wandered back in. Maybe you've been set free from grace. And you've run, walked back to the law. You're going to approve. You're going to gain God's approval by the way that you live. Never going to happen. Maybe you've been set free by grace. That's a gift. But you treat everybody else by the law. You're going to give them what they deserve. It's the power of sin over your life again. Maybe you let the past control you. Something somebody's done to you. Something you've done. You've been forgiven of. You can't forgive yourself. The accuser of the brethren has convinced you that you're still guilty. Maybe there's a specific sin that just owns you. Good news is, he says, you've been set free from that. I now own you. I've set you free. That's what life is supposed to be like. Maybe Jesus has forgiven you completely, but the way you've wandered back into the prison is be holding on to unforgiveness for somebody else. Real common. Real common. Jesus has opened the prison doors for you. And they're standing there. And maybe you've been out. But you're back. You're back. It's time to walk out. Make today your walk out day. Last. Jesus wants to set us free, not only from the punishment, not just the power, but the presence of sin in our lives. I'm talking about the overwhelming presence. If this is you, this is you, you think you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but habitual sin, what the Bible calls besetting sin, is the pattern of your life. It's ruling your life. This is, listen, stay with me. This is the most dangerous place to be. This is the most dangerous game in the universe because you are yanking God's chain. You're playing around with him and with sin. You, you are enjoying it as a toy, as an amusement, because um, you believe that it can't hurt you anymore because you raised a hand, you walked an aisle, you said a prayer, and, and you're forgiven. Um, so it's not something you have to deal with seriously. Sin is still ruling your life. It might be anger, it might be lust, it might be greed, it might be hate, despair, sexual immorality. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's a heart condition. And it's still ruling your life. Ask this question. In the last year, just take the last year, have I been more faithful to my habitual sin than I have been to Jesus? Have I been more faithful to my habitual sin than I have been to Jesus. If that's true, if you're honest, and your answer is yes, you need to be rescued from the continual presence of sin. It's wrecking your life, the life he died to give you. And if you're powerless against sin, that should raise serious questions as to whether you've ever been rescued in the first place. 1 John 3, 6. I need you to see this. This is one of the biggest wake-up calls in Scripture. 
If you need a wake-up call this morning, this one's for you. No one who abides in, lives in him, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning as a lifestyle, as a habitual lifestyle, has either seen Jesus or known him. All of us sin. All of us sin. We will continue to sin, to have sin be part of our lives until he sets us completely free when we're in his presence. However, what we're talking about is sin that rules your life, sin that controls you, sin that is so habitual that it, it, it just, it owns you. It owns you. And I plead with you, take the next step in being rescued by Jesus from the prison of sin, maybe for the first time from its punishment. Maybe you've been released from its punishment. You've walked back in. You need to be set free from its power. Maybe you need to be set free from its power and its presence because you do have this habitual sin. There is great news. Jesus loves you. Remember that? Verse five, and he's come to forgive you, to set you free. And his grace, his love, his forgiveness is so much bigger. Okay, quickly, quickly, because we need to see this. We're gonna look at the part where we will either be rescued by Jesus or cry out to be rescued from Jesus. We're gonna get to verse six, uh, that he's made us a kingdom of priests uh, when we get into the letters to the churches. So we'll skip over that. Back to Revelation 1. We're gonna look at verse seven. Behold, look, there's a flash forward, a coming attraction, okay? John says, behold, look, he, Jesus, is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will what? Clap, cheer, wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Um, they're crying, they're mourning. Some are terrified, okay? Now, this points to two things. One, quickly, this, report, this points to the repentance of the nation of Israel, the Jews, who will, in the end, we'll see it through Revelation, will turn to Jesus Christ, will realize that he is the promised Messiah and will come to him. We see that throughout Revelation. You'll see it in Daniel 7. You'll see it in Zechariah chapter 12 if you want to, Go do some reading there. A little side note. Politically, I, I rarely talk about politics, okay? Because I don't want any of that to, to color whether or not you come to Jesus or not. Politically, according to the Bible, we as a nation need to love, support, stand by Israel. It will not go well for us if we do not. Jesus did not unchoose the Jews, Watch that. Watch that in the news. Watch that. It will not go well. Okay, end of political commentary. This is a flash forward coming attractions to Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus will return in all his glory and the people who have not been set free by Jesus will not be happy to see him. Okay, Revelation 19 verse 15 says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, that's his word, which will strike down the nations. Doesn't sound nice, does it? 
and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. Sound familiar? You, you, the battle hymn of the Republic, the lyric, right? He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He will loose the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on, and we sing it triumphantly. Glory, glory, hallelujah, right? It's good news if Jesus has rescued you. Not so much if he hasn't. Do you understand what this says? He's coming as king and judge, and he set you free, and his truth is marching on. But if you haven't allowed him to rescue you, his truth is going to march right over you and destroy you. He is trampling out the, the wrath of God. This is horrible. And he does not want you to meet him as judge. He wants you to meet him as loving rescuer, not righteous judge. After 9-11, we wanted to know who was responsible and have them brought to justice. Did we not? Don't we still? Somebody has to pay for this. Guess what? Good feeling. You know why? Because it comes from God. That love of justice. This can't be. This cannot go unpunished. We're not going to send a cookie bouquet to, you know, Osama bin Laden after that. Somebody got to pay. Right? Why do we love? Why do you TiVo all the, like, the cop shows, right? CSI, Law and Order, SVU or SUV or whatever it is, The Mentalist, whatever show you got. Why do you love those shows? Why do I think that Jesus, if you had a TiVo, would TiVo that? Why? Because he loves justice. We love it. Because in the end, the bad guys always get brought to justice. If there was a show where nobody ever got caught, never, nobody ever got paid, you wouldn't watch it. Because at the end, the payoff is things are set right. 30 minutes, 60 minutes. Moms and dads, if so, Gracie is a, you're a precious girl. You're wonderful. I've been a fan of yours forever, but not even close to your mom and dad and how much they love you. God forbid somebody willingly and violently hurt Gracie. Would you want justice? You bet you would. And I would for my child. And God does for his children. All right, we're, we're winding down. Don't worry, you've, you've done your time. Jesus loves justice. He prefers to mete out grace, undeserved favor. But justice will be done. Why is justice so important to God? Why do we have to meet him as righteous judge if we don't meet him as loving rescuer? Here it is, because God can't lower his standards or he wouldn't be God. God, he wouldn't be God. He lives in an unapproachable light, perfect, holy. God can't have sin. God the Father can't have sin in his presence. Yet he loves us who are covered by, infected by, and imprisoned by sin. And he wants us with him. That is what is called a dilemma. 
God can't have sin in his presence, yet he loves us who are imprisoned by sin. What happens then? This is a gruesome and, 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 and well, let's see. God reconciles those two opposite things, that dilemma, our sin and his justice. Because God is holy, back up, all sin must be punished. All the bad guys have to come to justice. That sounds good until we realize that I am the bad guy. You are the bad guy. By the way, how come the bad guy is always a guy? Why is that expression? I'm just taking up from my gender. The bad people. All right. It's good news until we realize that we're in the enemy camp. Because Romans 6.23 says, Wages of sin is death. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Wages of sin is death. The gruesome and violent truth is, get this, and most Christians don't, because of God's holiness and justice, God must kill all sin. God must kill all sinners. I wish that wasn't in here, but it is. And if I don't tell you, it's on my hands. That is not politically correct to say. But with God, there's always good news. That's the gospel. While that is true, this is incredible news. He made you for eternity. He wants to lavish you with love both now and forever. That's the dilemma. You and I are on death row, but God loves you, wants you free, but somebody has got to take our sentence if we don't and pay for the sin. Enter Jesus, God with skin on. He comes on the rescue mission, lives the life without sin, the only one who ever has no sin in him, ever. But on the cross, Jesus becomes sin. Jesus becomes sinners. Jesus becomes me. Jesus becomes you and takes upon you his sin, your sin. Takes upon him your sin and receives the death sentence that you and I deserve because God must crush all sin in order to be just. So we go to him. That's the rescue. You see, that's how people like me get to be with a God like him. Not because I'm a real good guy. Not because I have a job where I have to look holy or preach the word. Because of what Jesus has done. And only because of that. That's the rescue. On the cross, he became sin, died in our place. Rose again to give us new life. His presence in our life gives us freedom. Freedom. From prison of sin, punishment of sin, power of sin, presence of sin. We must be set free, a life for a life. Your sin, my sin, is piling up somewhere. All of it is piling up somewhere. It is either on Jesus or the Bible says we're storing up wrath for ourselves someday in the future. You know how all those ads to buy stuff gets us to buy stuff um, because it's on sale? No interest, no payments for six months? Hey, I'm going to get this because I'm not paying for it today. And we do the same with sin. God hasn't smacked me down yet. I guess it 
It's okay. The Bible says we're storing up wrath. But he would much rather we meet him as loving rescuer than righteous judge. We're done. Maybe you're doing time in prison right now. Maybe, if you're honest, you've been set free from prison and you've walked back behind the bars willingly. Maybe um, habitual sin is the pattern of your life and you need to be set free from its presence. Everybody meets Jesus. We either meet him as loving rescuer or righteous judge. Let me ask you the question again. How many of you have ever been in prison? Don't raise your hands now. You can in a minute. After 9-11, we realized we need rescue justice and hope. We have hope. We have hope. Great hope. John 8, 36 says, If the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. Look, if you've never come to rescue, come. If you've come before, but you're living a life that shows you're still bound. You're a prayer away from getting set free. Let's do it. It's time. Let's pray. Lord, heavy stuff from your word. When you lay that on our hearts, you do it because you love us. And you want us to be set free. You want us in your presence. You want us set free. You want us lavished with love. You want us living love and joy. Lord, some of us need to come for the very first time and be set free from the prison of sin. Some of us need to come and be set free from um, its power and control in our lives. And and some um, from its presence because it's calling the shots and you want to do it all. And Lord, um, we tremble before you because we can't imagine your incredible love given our heart condition. And we know that you are righteous and holy. And we want to meet you as loving rescuer and not as judge. Thank you that you want to meet us that way. Respond to God in your heart. Respond. Let him do the work. Or else you'll go on living the normal Christian life that says it's free. But your heart is still behind you.